Come to church and get some classic rock. Don't you love it? You know, classic rock that rocks, you know, um, only at Cross Point. Um, actually, Dave was telling me a little bit, uh, some backdrop to that song, and, and the uh, lead guy of Kansas did, uh, about four years later, I guess, uh, come to know Christ. Uh, and he wrote this song as he was dealing with this journey of, of coming to religion. That he's kind of, he tried kind of every religion out there. And this song was, was, was written out of that. And, uh, and, and we're in a series called Wayward Son. And, and when I was thinking about this series and, the, and preparing for this series several weeks ago, uh, you know, thinking about it, having it in my mind and, 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 and letting it just kind of percolate in my mind, uh, I, I heard this song on my Spotify, one of my Spotify radio channels. And I was like, that's the title and that's the theme song for this series. You know, it's, it's perfect. And the, we, uh, a short series, so uh, last week and then this week and then next week for Easter, of taking a look at who is eligible for God's kingdom. Who's eligible for God's kingdom? And last week we, we, we looked at the reckless son, the son that, that, that goes off and spends all his money by just being reckless. By spending it on a prostitute, spending it on, on drugs, on alcohol, just completely, anything that you can create a rated R movie on, he goes and just spins it. But the father accepted him back as a son. See, the, the reckless son thought that his chance of being a son again was one in a million. And we quoted Dumb and Dumber of, so you're saying I've got a chance? That you feel like if you're reckless, you have a one in a million chance of becoming a, fa- a son of the Father again. He was going to relegate himself to being a servant. But in reality, when he came back, the Father accepted him back as a full-fledged son and restored him back that way. Those of you that have been around church, you probably know the story that we're talking about what we know as the prodigal son. If you know the story, you know that there's two sons to this story. But we don't preach about the second son all that often. We kind of gloss over him. Why is that? Because the second son represents religious people, represents church people. We don't want to preach about the second son because that just might make me uncomfortable. We'll just talk about him and then we'll move on. But if you're someone that we would call a non-fan, somebody that is a non-fan of God, non-fan of church, non-fan of Jesus, but you happen to come this morning, why don't you just sit back and relax? I want you, you might even feel like amening, like, yeah, go get them, you know? Because this is about religious people. This sermon is about how we cannot be religious. Because the responsible son, the second son in the story, thought that he improved his chances with the father by being responsible. And so maybe you've thought some things for years that hopefully I might just touch on during the sermon that you go, wow, somebody else sees this too? It's not just me. Because we don't just want to not be reckless sons. We also don't want to be responsible sons either. And some of you are like, 
So he's going to preach against being responsible. Yes, actually I am this morning. I'm going to preach against you being responsible. Gideon's like, yes, I knew it. <laughs> All right. Like, yes, yes. Because the responsible son thinks that being responsible gives him a better chance to have the father's acceptance. So we're going to take a look at the second part of this parable. We're, we're, not, we're not going to read the first part about the reckless son. Um, we're going to read the second part of this parable. If you're not familiar with the parable, I would I'd invite you to read actually all of Luke 15 because the, the entire chapter uh, talks about one theme. Luke 15, 1 uh, starts, starts it off. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Verses 1 and 2 of of Luke 15 sets the stage for this entire chapter because the rest of the chapter are three progressive stories that Jesus told on telling the religious leaders exactly why he hung out with sinful people. See, Jesus shows up and he starts teaching people. And, and, and these religious leaders are like, religious teachers do not hang out with people who are sinful. That just taints their reputation. And then not only that, Jesus went so far to say that he was God. So now these religious leaders, they're like, I can't believe that you're God because God would never hang out with sinful people like this. And Jesus tells three straight stories about why he hung out with sinful people. First story, those of you have been around church, you know these stories. First story is a shepherd. He has a hundred sheep. And he loses one. And, he, te- and he, he, he leaves the 99 to go find the one. Next parable, this lady, she's a poor lady. Not like, ah, oh, so sorry for you. No, she was poor. Or poor, you know, if you lose the R, you're really poor, right? And she lost a coin. And she ransacked her house in order to find that coin. But she found it. And then Jesus gave us this last parable, the parable as we know of today, as the parable of the prodigal son, but I think it actually should be titled the parable of the lost sons. Because he's t- t- telling these parables about lost things. And then he gets to this parable, this story about people. See, there's a variant when it comes to lost people. See, lo- lost coins, I mean, sometimes we may think that thing, inanimate objects intentionally lose themselves. I mean, you know, if you've ever had kids you know, toys that are lost, how, how did those toys disappear? You know, the inanimate object like takes themselves and loses themselves, but they don't lose themselves, right? But with people, there's a different dynamic to that because they actually walk away. And so we have a parable of lost sons because both have walked away, but the responsible son never went away. So let's take a look at how he could do that. Luke fifteen twenty five. You can follow along. As you've already seen, we throw the words up on the screen. Um, if you have a hardbound Bible, Luke 15, New Testament, uh, third book in, 
to the New Testament. Uh, also, uh, if you have a tablet or a smartphone, we do live events on the Bible app. I, I encourage you to, to download the Bible app on your, on your smartphone or tablet, and, and we do uh, live events so that you can follow along there. If you don't have uh, an easy-to-read Bible, don't have a smartphone where you can get the Bible uh, easily, we have ones that we'll give you. Just take one that's out there on the, on the coffee bar. But 15.25, Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. And your father was, has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. So here we are. We, we, we have the older brother. The younger brother's already come back. The, the, the father declared that, that, that a party is going to be had. The fattened calf is going to be killed. Old Betsy isn't going to be old Betsy anymore. She's going to be old ribs and old steak. And, and we're going to have a party. Betsy's now a slab of meat. And we're going to party hearty until the wee hours of the night. And the older brother doesn't get the memo because he's out in the field working. And he's heading in after a hard day's work. He's heading in and he's hearing all this music. Boom, chicka, boom, chicka, boom, chicka, boom. And all this music going on in the father's house. And he's wondering what's going on. Somebody didn't invite him to the party. And, and as he gets closer, his mind's wondering what's going on, what's going on. And maybe at some point in time in his heart, he knew what happened. Maybe at some point in time in his heart, he started changing from confusion to anger. And another servant, another servant's just hightailing. He's booking it into the house because somebody, they didn't tell him. He didn't get the, 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 the Facebook event request, you know, the, 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 the invitation. He didn't get the text. He didn't get that memo that was sent out. So the servant is booking it back to the house because servants love to have parties because servants just don't get to get to party all that often. And so the servant is booking it into the house. And the older brother grabs the servant as he runs by and drags him in and says, what is going on? Why is there a party going on in in our house? The servant says, you haven't heard? Your brothers come home. And we got a party. Your father has has killed the fatted calf. We're going to eat a lot. And we're going to party. And it says the older brother was angry. Angry. And wouldn't go in. He refused to go in and celebrate. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes. You celebrate by killing the fatted calf? Really, Dad? This guy went and blew your money on prostitutes even? And you're going to party when he gets back? See, responsible sons, responsible daughters think that working increases their chance to be accepted by the Father. That being good Working and serving 
increases the chances. But it doesn't. It doesn't. So how do we know if we're the responsible son? You know, kind of like Jeff Foxworthy made the, you might be a redneck if, you might be a res- responsible son if, you get angry when reckless sons come home. You get mad. You get upset. Well, how dare them come home? Jack, our drummer, shared with me a few weeks ago about how he saw somebody post on Facebook, I can't believe all these whores coming to church. Really? Guess what? If you would get angry that whores would come in to hear, this place and this people is going to be really, really uncomfortable for you. Because Jesus didn't come, Jesus didn't die for good people. He died for all of us who have sin and are broken. So if you'd be angry that somebody would walk in these doors that the night before they were having sex because people paid them to, it's going to be an uncomfortable place. If you'd be angry that people would come in here strung out, strung out on drugs, it's going to be an uncomfortable place. If you'd be angry that people would come in here hung over, it's going to be an uncomfortable place. And an uncomfortable people. Because we are now Jesus' body. And Jesus' body while he embodied it here on this earth, hung out with sinful people. People who were broken, people who didn't have a chance with God, so they thought. And if we're going to get angry over people coming, reckless sons and daughters coming to figure out maybe if God and church and Jesus might have an answer to their pain, it's going to be an uncomfortable place. Because we want to embody what the body of Christ is supposed to be about. But really, that's not my fear for Crosspoint. Overall, I don't think that's my fear. That's not my fear. Now, is it possible that we could get there? Well, yeah, anything's possible. But right now, that's not my fear. My fear more lies with something else that the responsible son did. He stopped looking to the horizon for his brother. See, the father, the father was continually looking to the horizon. He was continually looking out to the horizon to see maybe this is the day that the son will come home. Maybe this is the day he'll come home. Maybe this is the day he'll come home. And he kept looking out to the horizon. What was the older brother doing? He was working. He was too busy to look to the horizon. He was too busy to look for, the, for his brother. He was working. He missed the start of the party because he was working and not looking to the horizon. See, the, 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 the fear for us is that we'll stop looking to the horizon for the reckless son to come home. And it shows itself in such small ways. It creeps in so tiny. But it's so dangerous. Because when we get our gaze off of the horizon, the gaze comes into us. 
and about all that we've worked on, and about how hard we've looked or worked, and how good we've looked. Illustrate it from a personal um, example, personal story that happened to us. I uh, I was scheduled to supply preach for a church and. And um, so when we got there, we had two kids at that point in time. That was, that was pre the other two. Um, when, uh, when we got there, the, the people at the door that we went in didn't know why we were there. And so they didn't realize that I was preaching that day. And so we, we went in and, and uh, they looked at us and saw that we were young, a <laughs> young family. And, you know, they didn't. Their average age was not our average age. And, 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 and looked at our kids. They're like, ah, oh, a family, a young family with kids. We've been praying for a young family with kids. So exciting. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, 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 oh go get somebody to wash their kids for, 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 for them. Uh, uh, come here, come here. We'll, we'll, we'll take you into the nursery. We'll, we'll take you into where our kids uh, uh, go. And, and uh, so one led us back and one went on a mission to find somebody to watch our kids uh, during service. And so while the, the, the lady, the one that was going on a mission, the lady that was with us took us into the nursery and said, Man, we're so glad you're here. You know, we've been praying for young, kid, young families and, and kids and, and, and stuff. And, and uh, we'll, we'll find you somebody uh, to, to watch your kids. But if we don't, here's an intercom. We think it works and you'll be able to hear everything from here. It was that point in time I broke the news. Like, yeah, we can't stay in here because I'm going to preach. I'm here to preach. They're like, oh, then we'll, we will get somebody. They had lost sight of the horizon. They weren't looking and expecting and inviting people who were wayward sons to come home. And so, you know, nice little stories that happen to us that doesn't get personal so we can kind of fluff that by and go, oh, that was awful for that church. So let's bring it home. How good are we at inviting people? Because inviting people signifies that we're looking out to the horizon. We're, we're looking out to the horizon because inviting people is testing if they're on the horizon or not. Are they thinking about God? Are they thinking about spiritual things? Are they willing to think about spiritual things? Are they willing to walk on the horizon towards the Father? inviting them is doing that. Now, it's not about inviting them to church. That's not what this is about. This is about inviting them to meet the Father that they didn't even realize they had. It's inviting the orphan to meet the prospective adoption, adoptive parents. That's what inviting is all about. It isn't about inviting them to come listen to a band and some guy drone on for 40 or 50 minutes. It's about inviting them to meet the Father they didn't even know they had. How good are we at inviting? I know, I know, I know it is difficult. Look, some people just have that ability to meet and greet and gather people. And I, don't, I don't have that ability. In fact, the harder I try to gather people 
the more they want to seem to go away. I don't, I don't get it. I, I, I don't understand it. And that's not really a good gift to have as a pastor, but I just kind of try and stay out of the way and let other people do the gathering part so that I don't blow the gatherer's work. So it's not easy. It's not easy for me to start spiritual conversations with people I don't know. I'm in that boat as well. But are we looking to the horizon and always constantly looking for ways to invite people not to come to church, but to meet the Father they didn't know they had? How about our environment here? We've done cleaning, which I'm so thankful for, some spring cleaning before Easter. And speaking of Easter, the easiest time of the year to invite people, this week, this next week, Easter. But we've done some spring cleaning and to get our environment ready and more prepared for people who would be non-fans and guests. So that our environment is, 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 is friendly. But also, how about our personal environment as well? How good are we at making sure people feel welcome? Overall, I think we've, we've done a good job, but this is something that continually has to be monitored. Do we have, as, as a former coach that, that I've had uh, said, do we have our head on a swivel? That we're not just talking with people, but we're looking around to see who I don't know so that I go meet them. If you don't know them, they're candidates to be met. Because you can only meet them once, right? right? So have a new meeting. Meet people. Do we have our environment in order that says we're looking to the horizon? that we're ready for people and expecting people who don't know God and don't particularly care to know God to even be here. If we're able-bodied, are we parking, those of us that are cross-point, that say, this is my church home, are we parking further away? Saying, I'm looking to the horizon, expecting people who don't know God to be here and we want them to have the best parking spots. Where do we sit? Do we make sure that the back is open for latecomers? Because, you know, most non-fans aren't going to come here 15 minutes early, sit down, put their hands nicely folded, and wait for things to start. They'll come rushing in right at the end, and maybe they've got some kids, and, you know, that's not easy to do, and get them up and round and stuff. Maybe they'll come in five minutes late, but if there's no seats where they want to have seats, we're not, we don't have our gaze to the horizon out there ready for people and expecting people to be here who don't know God and don't particularly care to. And when our environment is right, guess what? It becomes easier to invite. See, our goal in, in planting, going up to central New York to plant, try and plant a church and then coming here, our entire goal was to have an environment where you didn't, have a fear of inviting people to that environment. Probably all of us maybe have been in that church where we'll invite people, but in the back of our mind, we're like, I don't know if I want you to come because I might have to apologize for something. 
I want our environment to be such that we have confidence in inviting people that we know we won't have to apologize for anything because we'll treat people who don't know God even better than we treat ourselves. How about the donuts out there? Is an open box of donuts like an invitation, like a professional eating contest? Clay? Clay? Conviction there? No. (laughs) Or do we see those as a way to break down walls for guests? Because otherwise, we, we, we wouldn't have donuts. I mean, we wouldn't spend that kind of money on us. We want to have that for people who would be guests and to break down walls. Why do we have loud music? I want our music to be, our younger, like, that's loud? Yes, it's loud, okay? Just ask somebody that's older than you. <laughs> Why do we have loud music? Why do we have music like what we have? We want music such that, that somebody who doesn't go to church might say, I don't know what the words are, but I sure would be okay with that being out of my iPod or iPhone or whatnot. And you can. We podcast all of our music, so you can do that. That's why we do it the way we do it, is for non-fans of God to break down walls so that they can have the chance to be a fan. And that's why we have an atmosphere of celebration because responsible sons, they're not interested in celebrating. There's more work to be done. That's how we gain the love of the Father is that we work. There's nothing, we do not gain God's love by celebrating. Too much work to be done. I'd be quite all right if we changed this, this, the title of this from worship to celebration. Because you, you go up to somebody that's not interested in God and go, oh, come worship God with me. I'm not interested in God, so why would I want to do that? We have celebration on Sunday. What do you celebrate? Well, we, we celebrate God and we celebrate what He does, but come with us. Come celebrate with us. We try and have a party atmosphere. Why on earth should we let people who don't even remember their parties have the best parties? Right? Maybe we've been there before. I don't remember the party, but boy, it was good. Like, How do you know it was good if you don't remember it? I just woke up here and it had to be great. Why can't we out-party that and actually remember it the next day? And have an atmosphere where we're just like, it's like a party, it's like a fiesta. In fact, speaking of fiesta, in fact, Cinco de Mayo is on a Sunday this year. Why don't we leverage that? Piñata, sombreros. That'd be fun. Yeah, mustaches. That might be our next contest is Cinco de Mayo. We have uh, a party and a dress-up party. And our contest is the best dressed-up gringo. Might as well say it. Well, I mean, you're half. You're like kind of there because you grew up in Arizona, but not totally there. Well, I know, exactly. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I, yeah? Why not? I right, get some tacos. 
samba music. I know that's not Mexican, but you know, have fun. Maybe Phil can, I don't know. I don't know if they can change something to be, you know, Hispanic flair or something, but I don't know. We can work on that. But have a celebration. Every Sunday is a celebration where we're not coaxing people and begging people to come, that they want to be here and they want to invite people because they're looking to the horizon, looking for the next reckless sun to come home. Responsible sons are not looking to the horizon. Like I said, this attitude creeps in in just minor, minor, minor ways. We've got to constantly keep it in check so that we are always looking out to the horizon because as soon as we get our gaze off the horizon, we get it onto us and our preferences and how we think it should be done and how we think the music should be and how we think the carpet should be and how we think the color of the wall should be. And Anyway, I'll stop. That's the responsible son. So what is the father's response to the responsible son? Well, first of all, the father went out to the responsible son. They, they, they didn't get in this, uh, well, you tell the father this, and you tell my son this, and you tell my father this, and you tell my son this. They didn't get into this war of playing messenger where the servant just finally says, why don't you go talk to him? The father goes out to the son, the responsible son. And what did he do for the reckless son? He went out to him as well. The Father meets us exactly where we are, no matter where, where, where we are is. I think I said that right. I don't know. But the Father meets us where we are, no matter what. That's an easier way to say it, no matter what. And if we're a responsible son, the Father will come meet us to tell us something. Here's what he wants to tell us. His father said to him, look, dear son, this is like, maybe your father had a pet name for you, or you, you as a father had a pet name for your son or daughter, you know, you know, sport or champ, or call my, my kids mo- for the most part buddy, you know, to, I'm your father, but I still want to be here and have a relationship with you. Um, maybe you think your pet name was, get over here, I don't know, but, you know, whatever, whatever that might be. Uh, you know, if you're a girl, maybe princess or whatnot. Look, dear son, I have a relationship with you. That's my intent from the beginning. You have always stayed by me. Yeah, I know you've been here. I know you've been by me. And everything I have is yours. You know what, son? That fattened calf we just killed could have been yours yesterday. You could have had a party yesterday with Betsy. Had a slab of ribs and steak and all that. You could have had the goat that you just said you wanted. You know, whatever. If you wanted to have a party every day, I would have let you. See, what the father is trying to say is, is that the relationship is there, period. Whether you have a million to one chance or you think you have a million to one chance or whether you think that you have to work for the relationship, both of them are false. The relationship with me is there no matter what. The celebration could have been had if you wanted it, but you never asked for it. 
We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. The father wants to bring dead people to life, have lost people be found, or as we would say it, non-fans to become fans. To see people who would say, I'm not a fan of God, ultimately end up saying, now I'm a fan. I've seen the Father. And I'm a fan of God. And I want to follow Jesus. See, the relationship is laid before us, no matter what our background is, and whether our background is last night. But the relationship is laid before us, no matter how long we've been in church. Because the longer we've been in church, the easier it is to become the responsible son and daughter. To think it's all about doing this and making sure this happens and making sure this goes. And we lose the life that God wants to give people. And lose the life that he wants to breathe into dead people. Because this is what it's all about. is letting people find the life of God that he wants to give. And even in the year here, we've seen, since I've been here, we've seen so many people who would say, I've been dead, but I've come back to life again. And that doesn't even mean that, that they weren't alive at one point in time. That doesn't mean that they haven't had an experience with God before. But they've become dead because they've been separated from God for whatever reason. But they come back to life because they've been plugged back into the Father who wants them to have life. So what does God want to do with your life? Well, first of all, He wants you to find the acceptance laid before Him. Before you, I'm sorry. The acceptance that's laid before you. That He laid it there. He laid it there. And the acceptance that's before you is simply behind the door of repentance. And for the responsible son, the repentance is, God, I am sorry that I tried to work for your favor. That's a line of repentance. That's a line of prayer that we need to have if we're in that situation. I'm sorry that I thought that I could better my chances with you. And then, what God wants to do with our life is for us as his body to look to the horizon and use us as his body to lay that acceptance before other responsible sons, other reckless sons to say, you're accepted by God. It's simply behind the door of repentance. You're accepted by God. It's here. It's waiting. It's ready. There are no keys to this door. There are no locks to this door. It is here, and the door is Jesus. Man, he said that. The door is Jesus. Just walk through it, through him, to find the acceptance of God. That's it. It's just laid before us. Do we do anything for a Christmas gift, despite what we try and tell our kids? Do we do anything for the Christmas gift? No, it's just there. grace and God wants us to celebrate what does he want to do with our life he wants us to make he wants to make us a celebrative people a people who want to celebrate reckless and responsible sons and daughters coming home 
That every week is a celebration. And that's what he wants to do in our life. That he does something so real in us that we simply want to celebrate it and invite other people to be a part of this and to watch this happen in front of them. That's what he wants to do. So for the responsible son this morning, or daughter, we just simply ask you to repent. So God, I've had the wrong attitude. I've been angry. I thought I could, I could work for it. Repent. And then, instead of working for God's acceptance, we work from God's acceptance. See, the two activities could look exactly the same. But if we're working for God's acceptance, we think it's about us working to make God happy. But if we're working from it, we are simply doing what we do in order to let the reckless sons and the wayward sons come home who are on the horizon. So what is God doing? What's God saying? As Phil comes up and he plays a song of reflection, what's God saying to you? What needs to change? And simply during this time, ask God to change it. And ask God to work in your heart to change it so that you can be a person who's looking to the horizon, waiting for the reckless sons and expecting the reckless sons and inviting the reckless sons to come home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you that your grace and your acceptance is right there before us. I pray, Lord, that we will just simply take it up and run with it so that we can find other people to lay it before And I just pray, Lord, that whatever's going on and rolling around in our hearts, that we'll just do business with you. We'll lay it before you and move on. We thank you and we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Go ahead, stand with us. I'm here if you want to talk or pray with somebody. Shelly, if you're a lady and you'd like to talk or pray with somebody. But most of all, just whatever God's dealing with you in your heart, maybe you're wrestling or something, just simply lay that before God in prayer and ask Him to do something with your life.